a father turns to his two sons and says, please go out in the vineyard. And the first son says, no, I won't go, but later went. Second son said, yes, I'll go, but never went. Both sons are wrong. Both do wrong. The first son who, who says no first, and, but ultimately did go, we, he'd be described just as a sinner who repents. And the second son who says yes initially, but really was just a no, he's also a sinner, but in addition to being a sinner, he also lacks integrity. And Jesus is saying here that that is far, far, far worse than just being a sinner. In integrity is a word that we often hear, but I, I wonder, do we truly understand its significance in our life? Especially when there's a lack of integrity. You know, because you really can't live a flourishing life when you lack integrity. Your relationships suffer just by the simple thing of, it's not built around trust. People won't trust you. You won't trust yourself when you're not a person in integrity. It will keep you far from what is, what is true. It will keep you far from reality. A lack of integrity will ultimately keep us from Christ. And I think maybe perhaps it's especially important for us to consider integrity these days because we live in a world that is increasingly blurring the lines between what is right and wrong. We live in a world that is increasingly, you know, kind of pushing us to compromise our values when a decision or an action might put our given interest in that moment, it might benefit us to compromise your values. Take the shortcut. Take the shortcut, whether it be at work, in your job, in a given, given moment that pre presents an opportunity to lack integrity, whether it's at home, whether it's at school, wherever it might be. Integrity says no to all that. It anchors you in truth and it anchors you in your reality. And what our scriptures, I think, get to today and what our Lord gets to. So what is integrity? Seeking relief. And how do we grow in integrity? So first, what exactly is integrity? Integrity comes from, we get the word from the Latin word integer. To mean, so it means to be whole, to be complete. Somebody who is of a, a man or woman of integrity means they have internal unity within themselves. An integrated person has combined all aspects of their life, right? What he believes, what he thinks, what he says, what he does are all one. It's all united. And a person, a person of integrity doesn't, doesn't say one thing and do another thing. That's what, that's what our sec, the second son did. Person of integrity doesn't say something over here and say something else over there. A person of integrity doesn't act a certain way when people are around and another way when nobody's looking. So the question for, for us this morning, I think, is simply, what are, what are you like when no one's looking? What am I like when no one's looking? Are, are you different when no one's looking? Am I? 
And we've been looking at each of the last number of weeks, we've taken, we looked at a different proverb and the wisdom there in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10, verse nine in the scripture says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. It will eventually come out. So just think of like you, you do something wrong, you do something wrong when no one's looking, when no one knows about it, when you go to bed or when you wake up early in the morning, the thought in the back of your mind comes to the forefront in your mind and it's like, I hope she doesn't find out. I hope, I hope he won't know. What if, what if they find out? What if he finds out? If you lack integrity, when you're not united, what's inside, what's inside is, is you're divided. The scripture says it, you're not secure. You don't, you're not able to walk securely. You're crooked inside. You're disintegrated. Which lends to or goes to and leads us to seeking relief. Seeking relief, the, the, the crookedness inside of us the division within leads to what has been coined in the 1950s by a psychologist, Leon Festinger, who's, who, who calls it cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance simply, simply stated is, is, he says it's the uncomfortable feeling we all have when we have two conflicting beliefs about something. Or it's when we believe, we believe something, but our actions reflect something else. He says it creates this psychological tension within us. And he goes on, Festinger said and showed that none of us like that. None of us can stay there. It's not natural. The cognitive dissonance within us creates such a tension that we have to do something to get out, to seek relief. And the, the dissonance, the tension can be so, so strong and I can... And I need to seek out that internal consistency. One will go so far as to change one's belief to match their actions. Fulton Sheen said it this way. He says, if you don't behave as you believe, you will end up believing as you behave. That's right. And we have been seeing that in spades in our culture in the world over the, well, the last number of decades where we've had a, a plethora of, of, of people who have grown up with the faith in the church, believing something and have come to, it, come to the age, have reached a, maybe a point in their life, believe, like believing in junior high and high school that Jesus says this, I believe this, that the church says this, something as simple as going to church every Sunday. But they reach a spot, we reach a spot where maybe consistently engage in a behavior that's contrary to those teachings. It's like, I, I got to change what I believe. Whatever, whatever the issue is, so I just don't believe anymore because I have to get out of the cognitive dissonance. It's all silly. So I don't affiliate with any religion anymore. I might still call myself spiritual, but at the end of the day, it's the Lord just wants me to live my best life. And so I don't believe that anymore because my actions have, have, have been this way. I've got to change my belief. Another thing that can happen, and this is the worst possible way in which we can come 
to relief from the cognitive dissidence. Another option is you can just become a hypocrite. And that is far worse. That's the second son in the parable in which Jesus calls out because nothing's worse than that. Nothing does more damage than that. And nothing in the scriptures, I don't care whatever sexual sin it is, Jesus rails on nothing more so than he rails upon someone who's a hypocrite. Because the problem with hypocrisy, and we see it in the gospel today, is that the hypocrite actually grows comfortable with the division that's within them. It doesn't bother them anymore. So I can come to church and sit in the pews or I can be up in the sanctuary and I can present myself in certain a way. I can say yes, but behind the scenes, it's different. And it's a refusal to repent. That's where in the church with the, the, the I mean, just think of the, the hypocrisy with the sex abuse scandals, priests, bishops, cardinals, the damage that's done in the church, outside the church, within a person with the hypocrisy, it's the reason why it's so poisonous because the person grows comfortable with the division within. So you can change your belief. One can become a hypocrite to deal with the tension inside, the divide within, but those, both those will lead you dead in the water. Both of those options are really no path to go at all. The only option to take, the only way to really grow authentically in integrity is this. And we got to look at who Jesus addresses the parable to. Note who he addresses it to. He addresses it to the scribes and Pharisees. He lays out the parable and asks the scribes and the Pharisees, your opinion, what, what do you think? Which of the two sons is obedient to the father? And they answered, well, it's the first. And he says, you're right. And then says, and that's why the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to enter the kingdom of heaven before you. What's he saying? He's saying, it's not your yes. It's not all, you line up all these yeses in a row. It's not your yes that's ultimately going to save you. The thing that will save you is ultimately you repenting. That's the only thing that can save you. The only way, the only really way for us to grow in integrity is for you to admit that you lack integrity. The only way for you to have all aspects of your life united and one and integrated is for you to admit that you're a sinner, that you're not whole, for you to admit that you're fractured inside, to admit that you waver between the yes and a no that you have a foot in both worlds, that even when you do give yes to God, that oftentimes is half-hearted. It's only then that Jesus can come in because his death on the cross, by his death on the cross, his perfect and eternal yes that Jesus gave to the Father can then become our yes, where we can give a full-hearted, authentic, integrated, whole person, yes, without that happening and inviting him into those spots, we can't be happening. Only way to grow in integrity is, is to admit that I lack integrity and to allow him into that spot. So the question, I think, for us, are there areas where I'm disintegrated in my life? 
the air, are there areas where I'm not one? What are those areas? What am I like when no one's looking? What do I do when no one's looking? What aspects of my character come to the forefront when no one's looking? That's the spot to invite Jesus in. That's the spot to invite the divine son's eternal and perfect yes into that spot. That's how we become a person of integrity, that what you, be, that what you believe, what you say, what you do, and how you act all become one, all become united.